This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new mystery books to read but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support a local indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift. You can visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 81, and we are recording on Tuesday, July 14th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm good. How was your birthday? It was really, really chill. <laughs> nice. Not surprisingly, we didn't really do a whole lot, but as you get older... I find that I look like I even in like the days like with less than a week leading up to my birthday, I forgot I was having a birthday. <laughs> like people would ask me, oh, what are you doing for your birthday? And I'm like, what? Oh, right. I, I have a birthday coming up, don't I? But yes, it was very chill, very low key, which was quite frankly, exactly what I wanted. So happy to have that. And now I can officially say I am fully in my 30s. I turned 31 on Sunday. Not this last Sunday, the Sunday before. Right. Welcome. <laughs> As someone who's been in her 30s, I like them. So, <laughs> well, that's good. It's, yeah, so far being, well, yeah, being being 30 personally has been, has, has been pretty good so far. So hopefully, hopefully my 31st year will be, will, will be steady. <laughs> <laughs> With the way 2020 is going, I don't know. I feel like that's like sort of everyone's wish is like, just think needs things to be like, you know, okay, and I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, uneventful. Exactly. <laughs> Here's to an uneventful year. Yes, yes. Cheers to that. All right. So uh, before we jump into the episode, I have our first sponsor, and that is Size Zero by Abigail McGinn. Condom dresses and space helmets have debuted on fashion runways. A dead body becomes the trend when a coat made of human skin saunters down fashion's biggest stage. The body is identified as Annabelle Lay, the teenager who famously disappeared over a decade ago from her boyfriend's New York City mansion. This new evidence casts suspicion back on former boyfriend Cecil LeClaire. Now a monk, he is forced to return to his dark and absurd childhood home to clear his name. He teams up with Ava Germain, a renegade ex-model, and together they investigate the depraved and lawless modeling industry behind Cecil's family fortune. So this is part mystery, part sci-fi, part sort of hard-hitting look at the fashion industry. Some of the reviews basically talk about how this is almost like a fictional expose of the dark underbelly of modeling and sort of the unethical practices and the mental and physical illnesses that a lot of young women face as they uh, pursue careers in this industry. So if any of those things of a, are of interest to you, then I definitely recommend picking up Size Zero by Abigail McGinn. And we thank them so much for sponsoring this episode. 
wow, that was a ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of twists in that single paragraph. It's very surprising if you like you start some one place and then it goes somewhere else. And then there's a monk and you're like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was kind of like the first part. I was like, okay, okay. I'm like, really dark and weird, but I'm going there. And then it's like, now he's a monk. I'm like, well, well, I just don't know what's going on here. But it sounds really intriguing. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, that's definitely one that I think will keep you on your toes. <laughs> All right. So if you are new to the show, welcome. We are delighted to have you. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. We are delighted that we have kept your interest long enough to keep you coming back. So we are, I think, now in our officially in our third year of doing Bread or Dead. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we started in June of of uh, 2017. Wild. Yeah, bonkers. So yeah, that's incredible. But yeah, so if you're new to the show, as we said at, at the beginning, we talk about mysteries and suspense and just about anything and everything related to that. If it falls under that umbrella, we're probably going to talk about it at some point. And this is the part of the show where we always offer an invitation to our lovely listeners. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we would love to hear them. We've used a lot of your suggestions in the past to create episodes. This episode today was created based on the idea from one of our listeners who reached out to us. Um, it's a really great way for us to figure out new topics to talk about because it tells us what all of you are interested in hearing about. It introduces us to new subgenres, new authors, new ways of looking at mystery and suspense. And it really helps us out with planning because, yeah, there have been a lot of times where we've said, oh, gosh, what are we going to do for the next episode? But it's it's been really fun doing episodes this way. So we will have our contact information at the end of the show. But we always like to put that information out at the beginning so that, you know, you can get your thinking caps on and see if there's anything that that you would be interested to hear us talk about. And with that, I'm going to jump into our regular news segment. Um, we skipped a couple weeks ago. We normally would have put out an episode, but because the 4th of July fell on a Saturday, Book Riot designated Friday, July 3rd as our as our staff's off day, so to speak. So anything that gets released on Fridays, we just skip that. Um, so we've got a few weeks worth of stuff to, you know, talk about in terms of new releases and news items and stuff like that. So with that, I'll jump right in um, with a couple of film adaptation news items. So last year, there was a book that came out in the summer called The Chain by Adrian McKinty, which was this like huge debut thriller about a parent who learns that her daughter has been kidnapped and the only way to get her daughter back is to kidnap another child. And then her daughter will be released only when the next victim's parents kidnap another child. It's a really horrifying take on a the concept of a chain letter. And it's not surprisingly getting a film adaptation. So this was just announced. So there isn't any casting news attached to it. It's just we know that Universal Pictures has optioned it. It's going to be directed by Edgar Wright, who who directed Baby Driver, and it has Jane Goldman writing the script. 
She did X-Men First Class. So it was, I think even before the book was published, it was in talks to be adapted. Like people were like, it's going, this is, it's going to be so big that we got to, we got to jump on this right away. So that's all the information we have now, but we'll keep everyone updated as more casting news comes out and then eventually a release date and whatnot. But yeah, I'm not at all surprised that this, that this book got, um, got picked up by the film studios. And then in another uh, film adaptation announcement, there is going to be a film version of a short story by Joe Nesbo called London. And I'm not familiar with the particular story, but they do um, they do know that Oscar Isaac is attached to star in the movie. And I will watch anything that Oscar Isaac is in. I'm just saying. So as soon as I saw that, I'm like, well, I'm going to watch this. And another interesting bit of information is that Ben Stiller is on board to direct. And if you're thinking that Ben Stiller, yes, it is that Ben Stiller. Um, so yeah, the Joe Nesbo short story adaptation being directed by Ben Stiller and starring Oscar Isaac. I'm like, well, I'm probably going to watch this when it comes out. So we'll have we'll have links to all of these in the show notes but if you're if you're interested in Joe Nesbo if you're interested in Oscar Isaac because let's be real who isn't um this is probably one to keep on your radar and then some of you may have seen this news item that came out at the end of June so you may have seen this already but moving away from movie adaptations there was a, there was a news article that Dan Brown's former wife, Blythe Brown, has filed a lawsuit against Dan Brown saying that he led a double life during their marriage, including multiple affairs, and that he diverted funds from different projects to go towards funding his lover's horse training business and other kind of really shady illegal behavior. And it's it's just I'm like okay here we go another news article about a big time white male author leading a shady life and it's i think it's even more just kind of bonkers because it's Dan Brown who is one of the most famous most best selling authors in existence right now like I just, I just don't even know. I just, I read this and like, there's a part of me that's going, this is bonkers. And then there's a part of me that was just, there was this part of me that just was not surprised at all. <laughs> I don't know how you felt when you heard about this, Renzi, but I'm just like, at, well, at this point, I'm just, I'm kind of throw up my hands and just go, oh, why not? <laughs> I mean, I kind of have the same thing where I'm just like, there. I don't think there's anything that, I mean, I don't want to actually say these words because knock on wood, I don't want to be tested on this. The universe will test you. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but there, I was like, I don't think there's very much that surprises me. But I think what surprised me the most about this story is like the way that they're framing the lawsuit, because they're already divorced from what I can tell. And so this is sort of it's not like they are in the midst of a divorce. And so she's trying to like, lay groundwork for anything like that like from what i can see this is like an additional lawsuit outside of them like because it already refers to her as an ex-wife in the article um and like even the way that they phrase things in the lawsuit i'm like oh did she help write the da vinci code because it kind of sounds like it like i'm just gonna read this line for everyone who may not have like read the article or seen anything about it but it says 
This is an actual quote from the lawsuit. Dan has lived a proverbial life of lies for at least the past six years, seeming to be the epitome of a world-famous novelist leading a simple life in his home state of New Hampshire, while in reality, he was something quite different. For years, Dan has secretly removed substantial funds from his and Blythe's hard-earned marital assets to conduct sordid extramarital affairs with women, one half his age, and to pursue a clandestine life. And I'm like, that just sounds like the beginning of a novel. Like... (laughs) Not that like those things don't happen in real life, but even the way they're framing things like they're making it sound extremely vindictive, which maybe it is. And like, obviously, like, I don't know what actually is going on in the Brown household. Like, maybe he was like a really terrible husband. But it's just sort of wild to me that all of this is happening around someone like Dan Brown, who creates novels around like conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And I'm not like, leaning in one way or another in terms of like who's right and who's wrong and how much of this is truthful or not or anything like that because honestly I have no idea like I basically knew nothing about Dan Brown other than he's the author of these books like I don't really pay attention to him outside of that so I'm not like surprised like I think that it is possible that all of these things that she is saying is true but I just think the way that they're sort of framing it is just really amusing to me as someone who looks at Dan Brown novels as being sort of over the top life imitates art yeah honestly so I I I mean it's yeah I I really uh, like for the sake of like everyone who loves Dan Brown novels I really hope that it turns out that it's not as bad as it seems but at the same time like I said, nothing really surprises me anymore. Yeah, the universe is going to test you. And if we get a second round of murder hornets, I'm blaming it. On you. <laughs> Which I mean, this is a complete side note, but I saw a tweet the other day that saw, said something along the lines of like, time travel must be a real thing because clearly someone is going back in time to try to fix things and keeps making everything worse because <laughs> it's like the murder hornets were a thing and now they're not a thing anymore. And what explains that other than time travel? Well, see, the the tweet that I saw said that you know murder hornets are coming back in the third act. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let's hope we're both wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be something completely different and a hundred times worse. All right. Well, in other news, <laughs> I mean, slightly related, there's some more lawsuits happening that are just like really wild. There is an adaptation that is coming out, I believe. I don't think it's out yet um, on Netflix called The Enola Holmes Mysteries, which stars uh, Millie Bobby Brown. I believe we've talked about it before in the past about this being an adaptation, but this is like a story where Millie Bobby Brown is playing like the much younger sister of Sherlock Holmes and is basically like a really amazing detective herself. And so the estate of Sherlock Holmes is suing Netflix along with like Legendary, which produced the film and like the author and director and all of this stuff over copyright and trademark issues. This is like really wild and really interesting if you're someone who has any interest at all with like copyright law and stuff like that. So the way copyright law works, like all not all of Sherlock Holmes's stories are in the public domain at the moment. And so basically anything published before 1923 is now in the public domain. And so you would think like basically Sherlock Holmes adaptations are perfectly fine to be made as long as you're not like specifically adapting the last 10 stories that are left that were published after 1923. However, the Doyle estate is claiming that this Enola Holmes sort of adaptation and all of that stuff incorporates something that only the later stories includes, which is emotions for Sherlock Holmes. 
Now, it's been a while since I've read uh, the Sherlock Holmes series, and like I can't remember all of the stuff related to it, but um, the suit basically says that Sherlock Holmes was like super rational and analytical and things like that. Uh, but after Sir Arthur Conan Doyle lost his son in World War One, he started uh, providing like human connection and empathy as part of Holmes's character and made him slightly more human. So this new adaptation supposedly has a Sherlock Holmes that has emotions. And so therefore, it's pulling from the more recent non- public domain stories, which is like a really wild and fascinating argument to be making. And it'll be like super interesting to see sort of how the ruling goes down on that, because this is such a like gray line. I mean, I suppose like, in general, like these stories are going to be in the public domain within like the next, you know, five, 10 years. But at this and so I guess like, if I was the Doyle estate, you probably want to like maintain that control over as much as you can until you can't anymore. Um, and I suppose this is them trying to do that. But like that sort of line is so like blurry because it's not a direct adaptation of any single story and is saying that character traits didn't exist for a certain character until later on. And therefore, they're pulling from new the newer quote unquote work is like a really interesting argument, in my opinion. And I don't know, part of me is like, well, that's BS. But at the same time, I'm also like, is it though? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a judge. Well, I, I wish you could see the look I'm giving my computer screen right now. Because this idea that Sherlock Holmes having emotions is only part of the still copyrighted stories doesn't make sense. Because I'm thinking of like, the Mary Russell and Sherlock Holmes series by Laurie King, they get married in that series. Sherlock Holmes has emotions in that series. I mean, he's he's much older, but if they're making that argument, I mean, I'm sure we could point to lots of different adaptations or spinoffs or whatever that use the character of Sherlock Holmes that's something other than just a very kind of cold, rational person that he that he was in the earlier story. So this just doesn't make any sense to me. So I will be very interested to see what the ruling is. My question on that would just be, did those other adaptations get the right to do it, though? Like, did they already, like, oh. they might have gotten the estate to say okay on the adaptation? Oh. Uh. Yeah, so that might be the one thing where it's just like, I'm not sure. Like, I, I honestly don't know, because <laughs> I don't I don't, never pay attention to like whether or not um, adaptations. I mean, I always just assume if they're going forward, they've gotten some sort of right from it. So since those are like older adaptations, I would guess that like they would have had to have had the estate. OK, those adaptations. But again, I'm not a lawyer. So. <laughs> all right. And then in completely not related at all news to anything. Um, it was announced that Maureen Johnson is writing a fourth book in the Truly De- Devious series. Now, this is a series that was originally published as a trilogy. And so this is like kind of just a surprise. And I kind of follow Maureen Johnson on social media. And by kind of, I mean, like, she's one of the people on Twitter that I sometimes see. <laughs> and so I wasn't that surprised when this news was announced, because even while she was like promoting some of the other truly devious books, she was like hinting at the fact that like, she didn't really want to leave this world. So this doesn't really surprise me. I'm of the super minor opinion that the series shouldn't have been a trilogy in the first place, or at least the way that she set it up as a trilogy, I never really found super satisfying. But again, I'm in the minority of that opinion because people adore this series. And I actually do 
know a handful of people who are very excited that there are going to be more books in the series. And honestly, I wish this was kind of the way it was set up, you know, like a traditional mystery series where there are just like continuations of books, but there isn't like an overarching sort of trilogies thing going on because I don't think that was that was always the issue that I had the fact that there was like one mystery that was stretched out over three books always felt so unsatisfactory to me because it felt like it took forever and it moved so slowly and I didn't really enjoy it but the way that this one is set up I was like oh this is like how it should have been from the beginning where it's just like every other mystery series where you get character development and you get to follow these characters that you enjoy on new adventures and new mysteries and stuff like that so Am I going to pick up this book? Probably not. Uh, But I wish that this is kind of the way it was handled from day one. But that's, again, just me, it seems like. All right. Well, before we jump into the main part of our episode, I have our second sponsor, which is The Patient by Jasper DeWitt. And this book is described as The Silent Patient by way of Stephen King. So right right away, you've, you've got me hooked. So we have Parker, who is a young, overconfident psychiatrist new to his job at an asylum, who miscalculates catastrophically when he undertakes curing a mysterious and profoundly dangerous patient. This book is described as being good for fans of Sarah Pinborough's Behind Her Eyes and Paul Tremblay's The Cabin at the End of the World, and I love both of those authors to pieces. So I am super excited about this book. Another interesting thing about it is that an early version of this book was tested on the subreddit, the No Sleep subreddit, where it quickly became a fan favorite and it won Best Original Monster in Reddit's No Sleep Reader Awards. So this already has a lot of popularity in the online and Reddit communities, and now it is being released into the world as a traditional book. So if you also like the authors mentioned, if you and I have similar reading interests, then you will probably want to pick up The Patient by Jasper DeWitt. And we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. So like Katie mentioned at the top of the show, this episode topic was suggested by someone and it was actually suggested in a really terrific way. I think it was over Twitter where someone basically said like, hey, all of us are stuck in our houses for who knows how long, even though, you know, there are some places that are starting to open up. But because of COVID and stuff like that, a lot of us are spending a lot of time at home. So you should do an episode themed around sort of locked room type mysteries. And Katie and I both thought that that was just like such a smart, fun, fantastic idea and a way to like make a fun twist on everything that's happening right now in the world. So yeah, we basically just both picked some locked room mysteries to talk about today. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, I will go first because I have to admit the last few days, life has really, really, really gotten in the way. We had to say goodbye to one of our kitties yesterday morning. Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm doing so much better today as of this recording. But yesterday and the few days leading up to that when we knew that we were probably going to have to make a decision, I didn't get a lot of reading done. <laughs> um, however, I did start reading this book. I will say it instantly grabbed me from like, the first 10 pages. And I am super excited now that I have a little bit more focus and I have moved past the worst of the grieving process. I am very excited to sit down and finish reading this book, which is No Exit by Taylor Adams. So right away, the title is on theme. But what's interesting about this is that when you think locked room mystery, you think 
a literal locked room mystery. Now, this one is much more of like an it's it's an isolation type of mystery. So the story takes place over the course of 13 hours, and the main character is Darby, who is a college student, and she is driving home Colorado to Utah to be with her mother, who is dying of cancer. In the meantime, she gets caught in a winter blizzard in the Rockies, and her car is starting to break down, so she pulls off the highway into a rest stop, because she's like, if I keep going, I'm going to get in a car accident, and I'm going to be killed. And so she pulls into this rest stop to wait out the storm. And there are four strangers in the rest stop by the time she gets there. And so she's trying to find a signal to call home, say, I'm delayed, but I'm on my way, you know, to give some kind of an update. So she goes outside and she's trying to find a signal on her phone in the parking lot. And she's she's not able to find it. She's so she's locked off. So she's locked out from sending a text message and she's walking past the cars. And in the back seat of a van, she sees what appears to be a little girl locked in a cage in the back. She sees like a hand in the cage that gets pulled away. And she's going, oh my lord, someone at this rest stop has a kidnapped child in the back of their van. And so she is stuck in this very, very isolated, dangerous location with four people. And she's got to figure out who was driving that van, if there really is a child inside, and how she can get notice to the police or save the child or whatever the case may be. So that's the setup to the story. I mean, the premise just like instantly reaches out and and just like grabs you by the throat. You're like, oh my gosh. And with my reading, I only, I have only gotten to the part where she has just discovered the child and she thinks she knows who was driving that van. She's got to kind of make sure she doesn't tip her hand and give away that she's seen something in the back of that van because clearly one of these people is dangerous and she needs to keep herself safe as well. So I've only gotten just past the part where she where she discovers the cage and is trying to figure out who's driving what car. So like I said, did not get very far into the story, but I am very excited to get back to reading this. And my guess is I will probably plow through this in just a couple of days. It's not a long book to begin with. And with a premise like that, I mean, how can you how can you stop reading unless life terribly gets in the way then obviously, but now that life isn't in the way so much, I'm very excited to get back to it. And again, that is No Exit by Taylor Adams. I remember, I think it came out last year, and mm-hmm. I was always like, "I this book sounds fascinating, but it also terrifies me. So I'm going to be really interested to see sort of what your reaction is at the <laughs> end of it about what, because I almost picked up this book too for this episode. Ah! But, I, <laughs> but honestly, like, I'm legitimately like, I feel like this book might scare me, like, because, you know, like my levels are lower than yours. So <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is very clearly a very intense book. So I am, I am more than willing to be your guinea pig. Awesome. Great. Can't wait to hear more about it. (laughs) All right. So the book that I picked up for this episode, well, originally I read a different book, which I'll talk about at the end of the episode, but then I realized it wasn't really a locked room mystery. So I decided to talk about a different book, which is called Murder in the Crooked House by Soji Shimada. And this was translated recently into English by Louise Heal Kawai. So if the name like Soji Shimada sounds slightly familiar, 
his book, The Tokyo Zodiac Murders, came out a couple of years ago. This book was translated into English last year. And all of his books are, I think all of his books, but these at least two books were originally published in the 80s and are now just like starting to get translated into English and published here in the United States. Um, So the thing with Soji Shimada's books is that he like presents a mystery to you, or at least the two that I've read, which are the Tokyo Zodiac Murders and Murder in the Crooked House. Um, he like presents the mysteries to you as the reader, like he breaks a fourth wall and like addresses you as the reader and presents you with all of the facts and wants you to see to try to figure it out yourself, which is really fascinating. And I think also like really fun if you are someone who reads a lot of mystery books. I think that, you know, kind of adds like sort of an extra layer to the story. But this one is basically like a literal locked room mystery. There is this very rich man named Kozabaro Hamamoto, who basically like builds this house in this very like weird place. And the house itself is set up as like kind of a maze. And it's really like disorienting. Some of the floors are like crooked on purpose. And there's like oddly placed staircases, all of these different stuff, like just a very weird, weird situation. And on the night when all of the guests arrive, he basically has them for dinner and he tells them this riddle and he tries to see if anyone can solve this riddle. No one solves it during the course of the dinner. And then they all go to bed and they all are basically like locked into their own rooms. Like they all are in these like secluded rooms in different parts of the house. But then when they wake up the next day, one of the guests has been found dead in one of the rooms. And that is a room that, again, was locked from the outside. So he died with the door locked. And so therefore, the mystery becomes sort of how did this person get into the room and murder this person without like breaking through the door and stuff like that. So very much a traditional locked room mystery. If you're someone who enjoys traditional locked room mysteries, I think that you'll like this one because it does play with the genre quite a bit. It's set up very differently. Again, it's translated from Japanese. So I feel like some of it is the translation itself and the fact that it's, you know, originally published in the 80s and all of this stuff. So it feels very different from traditional Western mysteries, in my opinion. Like you spend part of the mystery like with the police arriving and then the police spend part of the time investigating and then they go, I don't know what's going on. And then they bring in a separate investigator to come and investigate, which is like wild to me, but also feels very like Agatha Christie-esque in like the sense of some of the sort of Perot novels or even Miss Marple novels where like people are looking into a mystery and, you know, Marple or Perot might not show up until later on. That's kind of how this is set up. But yeah, like I said before, it's also presented in a way and written in a way where you are technically given all of the mystery clues and you could theoretically solve it yourself. That being said, did I solve it? Absolutely not. Um, The story is like wild. Like everything that happens in here, it's really hard to talk about because there's so many different like details that are revealed and you're just like, this is wild. Like there's so much happening in here that it's there's no way I'm going to be able to do it justice. But I think that, again, if you're someone who enjoys locked room mysteries, I think that you should give it a try because it's just going to be really different from anything else you've read before. The character, there's like not great character development or anything like that. Like this is very much focused on the mystery itself. 
also just be forewarned for that. But I think it would be fun to see if like anyone could actually solve this mystery because I don't think it is possible. Like it, the when it all wrapped up, I was like, yeah, there was no way in the world I would ever guess that. So if you would like a mystery that will truly leave you stumped, I highly recommend this. So again, that's called Murder in the Crooked Room by Soji Shimada and was translated into English by Louise Heal Kawai. All right. So yeah, if you have any other locked room mysteries that you want to recommend or any other books that fit this theme of quarantining, staying in your house kind of kind of theme, let us know. Because yeah, when a listener who reached out to us and suggested that both Rinsey and I were like, oh, snap, that is a great idea. I, I just thought that was brilliant. This might this might be fun if you're looking for a way to add a little bit of a lighthearted twist to our current ongoing situation. But yeah, and as always, if you have other suggestions, let us know, because the last thing we need is more books to read, but the thing we want most is more books to read, so. That's always very true. Yes. <laughs> All right, so for new releases for this episode, I was kind of surprised in that there haven't been a ton of mysteries that are either released this week or next week. Um, there's a few, but there's not a bunch. I'm, I'm, I know we're going to just have just an overabundance of them come fall. But since we skipped an episode, I decided for new releases, I was going to highlight one new book that was coming out or that came out each week since the last time we did an episode. That wasn't my intention for it to be one per week. I was just going to like, well, let's go back and see what came out. It just happened to be one for each week. So yeah, let's let's jump in. This is we've got some interesting books here. So the first one that I wanted to talk about is Home Before Dark by Riley Sager, which was out on June 30th. I actually got this book for my birthday. <laughs> I knew it was coming out and my in-laws wanted a birthday list and I'm terrible at coming up with lists. So I was just like, oh, the new Riley Sager book is coming out. I love Riley Sager. So if you haven't read any of Riley Sager's books before, he writes very intense, fast-paced, fun, psychological suspense novels that takes take a horror trope and turn it into a novel. Like his first book, Final Girls, which, which just blew my hair off. It was so much fun. It takes the concept of the final girl that's left at the end of a slasher movie and takes that concept and turns it into a story. And his last couple of books, there was one about the creepy summer camp on the lake and something mysterious going on there. His most recent one had to do with like a very upscale, like New York City old brownstone apartment building. Like if think of the building that Rosemary's Baby was set in, that's very much the feeling of that book. So this one takes the more traditional haunted house story and turns it into its own story. So Maggie Holt is the main character, and 25 years ago, she and her parents, um, Ewan and Jess, moved into Bainbury Hall, which was this Victorian estate in Vermont, and they spent three weeks there before fleeing in the dead of night, which Ewan later recounted in his nonfiction book called House of Horrors. And so he told this story of ghosts and malevolent spirits, and the book just blew up and became this worldwide phenomenon, kind of like the Amityville horror, um, in terms of both the popularity and the skepticism that it drew. So as an adult, Maggie is, uh, Maggie restores old houses, and she's too young to remember any of the events mentioned in her father's book, but she also just does not believe in any of it. She's like, ghosts don't exist. This was all a bunch of hooey. So 
her father dies and she inherits Bainberry Hall. And so she returns to renovate it to prepare it to to sell. But she's right away, her past is coming back to haunt her. There's uh, people that were in her life from the past. They are kind of lurking on the periphery of her life. Locals aren't thrilled that the that she's returning to the house that her father made infamous. They're, they were not happy with his book. And, of course, there is Bainberry Hall, which is filled with relics from another era that hint at a history of dark deeds. And Maggie starts experiencing very strange things that straight out of her father's book. And she starts to think, okay, maybe there's something spooky and ghostly going on here. Um, so this alternates between Maggie returning to the house and chapters from her father's book. So if you are like me and are just a sucker for ghost stories or stories about houses with long buried secrets and all of this kind of stuff, then you will definitely want to pick up uh, this latest Riley Sager book, which again is called Home Before Dark. And that came out on June 30th. And then for the week of July 7th, we have The Shadows by Alex North, which is the second book, or, well, he very well may have written books before, before this one, but the first book of Alex North that I read was The Whisper Man, which I know I've talked about several times on this show as being really, really, really creepy, um, and also very emotionally moving, too. So his latest book is out, and so I'm, I can't wait to pick this one up. So the person at the center of the story is Charlie Crabtree. And he, as a teenager, he was kind of the outsider on the group, had a dark imagination, looked kind of creepy. And there was, and there's a part of people that really suspected that he might be capable of doing something really awful. 25 years ago, Charlie Crabtree committed a murder so shocking that it attracted the infamy that only exists on the darkest corners of the internet and inspired more than one copycat. So Paul Adams remembers the Charlie Crabtree case because Charlie Crabtree and his victim were Paul's friends. And Paul has slowly started to put his life back together, but his mother's health is really failing. And even though he really doesn't want to, he knows it's time for him to come home to take care of his mother and to face up to his past. So it's not long before things kind of start to go wrong. So Paul learns that Detective Amanda Beck is investigating another copycat that has struck in the nearby town of Featherbank. Um, his mother is distressed, insistent that there's something in the house, and there is someone following him. Which reminds him of the most unsettling thing about that awful day 25 years ago, which was not just the murder. It was the fact that afterwards, Charlie Crabtree was never seen again. So this book sounds like it promises to be just as unsettling as The Whisper Man. And I am so excited to get my hands on this book. Um, so again, that is called The Shadows by Alex North. That came out on July 7th. And then for this week, uh, comes out today, July 14th, um, we have Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. So Beauregard, otherwise known as Bug, which I think is a fantastic nickname, <laughs> So Bug is a mechanic, an honest worker, a loving husband, hardworking dad, and he knows that there's no future in the man that he used to be. Um, he was known all along the East Coast as the best wheelman on that part of the country. So he thought he had left all of that behind him, but 
As his carefully built new life begins to crumble, he finds himself being drawn back into a world of blood and bullets. And when a very smooth-talking former associate comes calling with a jewelry store heist, Bug feels that he has no choice but to get back in the driver's seat. So he's haunted by the ghost of who he used to be, and he's haunted by the father who disappeared when he needed him most. So Bug needs to find a way to navigate this blacktop wasteland or die trying. So this is this book has been described as like Ocean's Eleven meets Drive with a southern noir twist. It's a story of a man pushed to his limits by poverty and race and his own former life of crime. Sounds very dark, sounds very gritty, um, very multi-layered. So this should be a really interesting one to pick up. Um, So again, that book is Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby, and that is out today as of this recording on July 14th. Next week, um, on July 21st, we have the book He Started It by Samantha Downing. And I apologize in advance, I keep wanting to call this book He Had It Coming, like the song from Chicago. And if that song gets stuck in your head, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but that's, I, every time I try to think of this book, I'm like, He Had It Coming. No, no, that's not the right one. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Samantha Downing wrote uh, the book My Lovely Wife, uh, which came out last year, that Rincey, I know you read that one, and this this was that was a really, really big psychological thriller. So this story, it's the story of a larger family, but again, a family that has has some very violent tendencies thrown in there. So we have three siblings. Beth, Portia, and Eddie. And they have not been together in years, and for very good reasons. But their wealthy grandfather dies and leaves a cryptic final message in his wake. So the siblings and their partners have to come together for a cross-country road trip to fulfill their grandfather's final wish and, more importantly, secure their inheritance. Now, granted, time with your family can be tough, tough for everyone, but it's even harder when everyone's keeping secrets and trying to forget a memory, a missing person, there's an act of revenge, there's a man in a black truck who won't stop following your car, and at least one of the people on this road trip is a killer, and there's a body in the trunk. So, you know, typical cross-country road trip. But money is a powerful motivator, as it is for everyone. And so, Knowing that this is about several siblings on a violent road trip, the fact that this book is called He Started It is fantastic. And I just think that's that's delightful. So again, that is He Started It by Samantha Downing. That comes out next week on July 21st. All right. And so like Katie said, it's been like a month since we've posted a new episode. So a lot's been going on. And along with that, I've been reading a lot of books. I'm only going to talk about probably two of them because of time. So like I sort of hinted at before, there was another book that I read for this episode, and that was Murder at the Grand Raj Palace by Vasim Khan. So I originally picked this one up thinking it was going to be a locked room mystery because it takes place at the Grand Raj Palace, which is this hotel for extremely elite people in Mumbai. And so there is basically like this art auction that has taken place at this hotel. And there is this American billionaire who has flown in for the auction, has 
paid the most amount of money you know ever for an auction like this and i think he's the number is like 10 million dollars or something like that to buy this painting by this indian artist and then the next morning he is found dead and the police officers there and everyone are very keen and interested in sort of labeling this as being someone who died by suicide. But Inspector Chopra is basically called in to look into things a little bit more. And obviously things are not what they seem. So this is the fourth book in the Baby Ganesh series uh, by Vasim Khan. The first book in the series is called The Unexpected Inheritance of Inspector Chopra. And this is the mystery series, the cozy mystery series with the baby elephant, if that sounds familiar to you. I know I've I've read the first two books in the series so far. And then again, I picked up this fourth one thinking it was going to be a locked room mystery, but it's not quite a locked room mystery. But this actually might be my favorite Out of the three that I've read so far, like I skipped number three, so I have to go back and read that one. But I just found this to be so delightful and charming. Like I've always enjoyed this series and always have meant to like keep up with it as they come out. But like I said, I think this might be my favorite in the series. I feel like the characters have developed in like really fun and interesting ways. I think this one had a really strong mystery, which I feel like for Cozy's is always like kind of hit or miss. Not that like the other books have had bad mysteries, but... They've never been mysteries that really like surprised me. This one had some really interesting twists. Um, One of the sort of reveals, I suppose, which I won't get into because of spoilers, but one of the reveals is actually based on real events that happened in India. And there's like a little bit of an author's note at the end, which I really appreciated. So that was really interesting as well. Um, Inspector Chopra's wife, Poppy, gets her own like sort of mystery and like side storyline, which is really fun. And I also found that one to be really interesting as well. So yeah, if you are someone who enjoys cozy mysteries, but you don't love like cozies that are too cozy, I definitely highly recommend this series a lot. I definitely think that you do need to read the first one before reading any of the others so that way you get like the basic setup of the series and you know who all of the characters are Um, because from at least this fourth one I don't remember what the second one is like but like there isn't a whole lot of background given you're sort of given a basic idea of who everyone is but I think that if you read the first one and then jumped into any of the other ones you'd be fine. So again that one is called Murder at the Grand Raj Palace by Vasim Khan. And then a book that I finished literally like minutes before we uh, started recording this episode is The Janes by Louise Luna. And I'm not even joking when I say that this is a book where I was like pushing myself to finish because I loved it so much and I didn't want to leave it hanging <laughs> for when we recorded. <laughs> so it, it, I love this book so much. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so Louisa Luna wrote the book Two Girls Down, and this is the follow up to that story. So um, you are following the same two main investigators. There is Alice Vega, who is, you know, a private investigator who basically works on her own terms. She's known for finding missing people. And the other person is Max Kaplan or Cap. And he was a former cop who now works basically in the private sector of some sort. I don't want to talk too much about what happened in the first book, because in case you haven't read that one, I definitely think you should, again, just read these in order. So that way you get a basis of like who these characters are and what's going on. Uh, But I think that this book is like even stronger than the first one. So I know I've talked about Two Girls Down before, like when I originally read it. And I really enjoyed that book. And part of why I really enjoyed that book, I always said, is because I really enjoyed Alice and Cap's sort of relationship with each other. And I also said that, like, I basically imagine Cap as being uh, Keith Mars from Veronica Mars. So if you imagine, like, that character as being Cap, it makes it so much more enjoyable. 
this is a book that like sort of fleshes out all the characters even more and provides more like interesting side characters where this one feels completely cinematic. Like I was reading this book and I was like, wow, this really needs to be adapted into some sort of like TV show or miniseries or movie or something because it has such really interesting characters and a really interesting mystery. So I should probably talk about what actually happens in this book. <laughs> um, so this one takes place in San Diego. And basically these two Jane Doe's are found and there's like no sort of record of them at all. Obviously, that's why they're Jane Doe's. But they are what looks like to be of like Hispanic descent. And so they think that they are two girls and they're both under the age of 18. I think that's like 14 and 16 or maybe 12 and 14. I forget exactly. Um, but they're pretty young. And the police and everyone think that they are actually uh, victims of human trafficking. Um, so basically, like people who are coming up from Mexico, immigrating into the country and were like kidnapped and then forced into like, you know, terrible situations. Um, and so they think that these two, these two like Janes were basically found completely separate from each other. But they when you know, the coroner was going through the body to figure out cause of death and all that stuff. She found IUDs in both of them. And they both had like serial numbers that were extremely similar, except they were just like three digits off from each other. Like it was like 524 and 527 or something were like the last three digits. So that like sort of triggered something in the coroner's mind of thinking that these two Janes would be related. So the police and the FBI reach out to Alice Vega to look into this case. And then Alice Vega basically reaches out to Cap to help out for it. Um, but things are not what they seem at all. The police and the FBI and the DEA, I think, are the ones who are involved. Um, they basically are paying Alice cash under the table, which is already like a red flag for Alice. And then um, just like the way things are going down, everything seems super shady. And I will just leave it at that. As I mentioned, it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed this book. There were a lot of like really interesting developments in here that I was not expecting. Um, what you think will be the ending of this book happens a lot sooner than you think it will. And there's still like a lot more that happens after that that I found to be just really great. And not in like a bad way of like, oh my gosh, there's still 100 pages left of this book. But sort of like what you think is going to be the ending is not at all what how this all wraps up, which I thought was really great. I love Alice Vega a whole lot. She's one of those sort of can't really read her very well. And like, she's very smart and very observant sort of private investigator. So if you like those sort of like strong female characters who are out there, like, you know, beating people up and doing a great job of solving crimes, then this is definitely a series to check out. Um, so again, this one is called The Janes by Louisa Luna. But the first book in the series is called Two Girls Down. And I definitely recommend both of them. All right. So um, really quickly, I have read and finished a couple of books in the in the last month or so. Um, so first off, I had talked about The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling in our episode where we talked about mysteries and thrillers with LGBTQ characters and whatnot. Um, so I had started reading it at the time, had not finished it. I tore through like this last two thirds or three quarters of this book or however long it was in basically one sitting, I stayed up till 1.30 in the morning to finish The Luminous Dead. It knocked my socks off. It's like Annihilation meets the movie The Descent, which if you know anything about my media taste, you'll know that this is so totally up my alley. It was intense. It was it was scary. It was creepy. It had so many things going for it. I, it just blew me away. So it's definitely... 
if you're looking for a psychological thriller with strong elements of horror and science fiction in there, this is a really, really, really good book. It just, yeah, just blew me away. That's pretty much all you need to know. If, if Annihilation meets The Descent sounds interesting, then you'll love this book. The second book that I started and finished in the last few weeks is the new Tana French book, The Searcher. I got a di an advanced digital copy of it, and I'm going to be really annoying and not really say anything about it, except to say that I think it is very different than the other books that she's written. Part of it is, I mean, it's another standalone. The main character is a retired Chicago police officer who retires in Ireland and finds himself caught up in the goings-on in this very small, rural Irish town. And so the premise is, al is already set up to be different. But yeah, this one, I mean, it's still a ton of French book, but just no going in, like, I thought the Witch Elm had still had very strong elements of the Dublin Murder series in it. Like, it felt like a Dublin Murder Squad book just told from the non-detective side of the story. This one is very different, very character-centric. So just know that before you before you read it when it comes out in October, or if you can get an advanced copy, just it is very different, but I did, but I did read and finish that one. And then in terms of what I'm starting, um, I am part of the way through the audio version of Sadie by Courtney Summers, which I know Rincey has talked about on the show before. Um, it's a young adult thriller that's kind of, that's written kind of like a serialized true crime podcast about, it's following the case of Sadie, who has disappeared while searching, uh, searching for the murderer of her younger sister, Maddie. And I've been on kind of a true crime kick. I've been, I, Blaine and I watched all of the new Unsolved Mysteries episodes on Netflix, which were so engrossing. Oh my gosh. And now we've started on Cold Case Files. So if you're kind of in a similar groove, this will probably scratch that itch. And then I also just, just started The Deep by Alma Katsu, who wrote The Hunger, which was the Donner Party, but with supernatural stuff. And this book is The Sinking of the Titanic, but with supernatural stuff. Um, so I'm really excited to see how that one goes. But like I said, I'm not, I don't think I'm even 50 pages into that one, but I love Alma Katsu so much. So very excited. <laughs> All right. And that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Thank you to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound so terrific. For show notes, head over to bookriot.com slash listen. If you enjoy the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover us and join this little community of mystery readers. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions like Katie mentioned at the top of the show, you can find us at dead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And I'm on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.